Hi, I'm Guy Powell, and welcome to the April episode of the Backstory on Marketing. If you haven't already done so, please visit ProRelevant.com and sign up for all of these episodes and podcasts. I am the author of the upcoming book, The Post-COVID Marketing Machine, Prepare Your Team to Win. You can find more information on this at marketingmachine.prorelevant.com. Today, we'll be speaking with Christina Porter. She is the Senior Manager of Digital Brand Strategy for the Mohawk Group. She's an experienced marketer that has worked across a wide variety of industries, including flooring, telecommunications, consumer electronics, agriculture, and building materials. She is passionate about branding and digital marketing and loves learning new things. Originally from Mexico, Christina has lived in Georgia for the past 10 years, and she's still looking for the perfect taco in the state. <laughs> when you find it, I want to have it. So I'm ready for that. Welcome, Christina. <laughs> uh, thank you, Guy. Thank you for having me. And I, yes, I am still looking for it. I've found some really good ones in Dalton, actually, <laughs> but still looking. Yeah, exactly. Well, I love uh, I love tacos. I love Mexican food. Well, I hate to say it. I love to eat <laughs> and uh, I have to keep holding myself back. <laughs> but anyway, so let's get started. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So what is your backstory on getting into marketing? Uh, that's an interesting one, actually, because I didn't start in marketing. I didn't even study marketing. I started I studied communications and I started an editorial, actually. <laughs> I was uh, um, the editor of the children's section in a newspaper in Mexico, a sports newspaper. And then afterwards, I went into um, journalism and I decided that I did not like journalism as much as I thought that I did. So I went into PR and PR kind of uh, launched me into the marketing world fully. Um, I started um, doing, I, I started being the PR manager for Sony Ericsson in Mexico. Um, and then I started getting interested in other parts of the, of the business, really. Um, digital marketing being my, my core passion, because it was, this was, you know, 18, 17 years ago where digital marketing was taken on a different flare, flavor. It was before the social media explosion. Um, that's where I started go going into actually social media once it started into Twitter. Um, I mean, my my handle is still four letters long, so it tells you a little bit of how long I've had Twitter for. Um, and then going into Instagram, Pinterest, and all the other ones. Um, I'm still trying to get more into TikTok. I am a viewer, not a creator there, um, but I'm still learning. And that's why I liked about digital marketing in general was that it was always changing. So once you thought that you were an expert on something, it changed and you were not an expert anymore. And then I liked all the other parts of marketing, of course, and I've done all of the, <laughs> all of the things in marketing, um, which makes um, it's very fun because one of the things that we actually learned a lot during my time in Sony uh, Mobile under a great CEO, um, um, CMO, sorry, um, Steve Walker, was that you needed to see everything as integrated and everything needs to be connected and make sense depending, depending on the channels and the audiences. And that has carried over basically my whole life afterwards. 
Yeah, fantastic. Well, it certainly changed since uh, the last 17 years. And I got into uh, marketing as well at roughly the same time. And, yeah. and uh, you know, and I and you came at least from uh, something that was closely related. I came from engineering and then got into product <laughs> management and then finally into marketing. And now I do more marketing than uh, than than I ever thought I would. But um, yeah. So uh, now you didn't mention the uh, metaverse. I thought I'd just bring that up. Do you see any opportunity for you at uh, at Mohawk or generally with the metaverse? I think we do. Um, that is one of the questions I it's. As I said, it's always evolving, right? So the metaverse is something that to me is a little bit of a funny situation because I don't know if you remember that about 15 years ago, Second Life was a big thing and it was kind of a metaverse, but it wasn't as interactive or in, well immersive as it is nowadays. So we saw that Second Life was like a big thing for a couple of years and then it fizzled out and died. So yeah. I am wondering about the metaverse. I know that there's there's always that support of big companies and that's gonna drive it. I do think that the way they're doing things related to being more immersive and how we're going towards that virtual world is very, um, it's very different from the experiences that we've had in the past. I think that there are there are opportunities. Um, so one of the conversations that is that right now we're having is like people are actually be, buying real estate in the metaverse. So who's actually you know providing the furnishings and the flooring mm -hmm. for it, and how does that even work? So there are opportunities. I think that more than anything, we need to understand what is happening before we <laughs> jump into anything. But I do think that there's opportunities for companies in general. Um, in, in my case, in my industry, I do see some opportunities because as, as I mentioned, it's like, how are you gonna create those environments to be realistic because that's what you want or non-realistic, right? Right, um, that's, that's the part of the metaverse is like, you can actually um, exist within not a realistic space. So yeah, I that's such a good question. And I think it's evolving. So it's very difficult to right now tell you, oh yeah, this is the future that we see and this is the opportunities. I think it's, it's all evolving. Um, and I think in the next couple of years, we'll see a lot more of what it really means. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, it's it's funny when you talk about, you know, the evolution, you had Second Life and it did well for a year or two and then it kind of faded out. But mm -hmm. but now I think with uh, the communications uh, speeds and qualities that are available to the home that the this metaverse can really be uh, able to take advantage of that. And so it, it's kind of like there's a, a trial. It, it gets it gets a little bit off the ground and then it kind of fades because it just Cycles you know, get there. And, you know, it's almost what really amazed me even with COVID was uh, how much the use of QR codes took off. QR codes, nobody was using them. They are such a great idea. And then all of a sudden they, you know, they, uh, with the, with COVID now everybody's using them. So it, it really amazes me how, how, you know, things really just take off, you know, for whatever reason that's driving it. Well, it's a lot of, I think, all of those are related also of, um, with technology education and technology, um, people really taking on technology differently and also the technological barriers. So when, when QR codes existed in the beginning, 
you had to download an app, to use a QR code, and it made it a lot more complicated and complex for people. You want, especially with technology, you want things easier and faster, and you just need one click. Once it got embedded into the cameras natively, mm. then that reduced the amount of barriers that the user had to have or jump through to get it done. And I think that helped a lot with QR codes. Yeah, basically. Yeah, no, and, and that's helping with the metaverse too. Once it, you make it easier for the consumer to have a VR headset and to access that metaverse, then, then you see that um, really, you get that um, you moved from early adopters into kind of like the mainstream. Yeah. And I, I think you're right because initially the QR code, you had to buy a you know, download a QR code reader. Yes. And then now, like you said, it's native on your camera. You just, you know, click at it. And then all of a sudden that link comes up and it, it it's totally, you know, the experience and the barriers to that experience are, are totally gone. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what do you see as the, uh, the big challenge now for marketers and for you for 2022? Oh, I see so many. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's really interesting because I think that um, one of the most challenging things is really figuring out what's next, right? So uh, the pandemic has accelerated a lot, a lot of the technology acquisition and, and education, basically. Um, so you, are, you have a lot of shifts that are happening that started two years ago and you're still seeing kind of like the results to it. Um, I'm still having a lot of challenge with, for example, trade shows and in-person meetings and things like that. You have this combination of people that just want to go back to normal and want to go back to the way everything was. And then you can't really go back to that. You, you need to shift a little bit into that virtual or digital world and combine it with the real world. So I, I think that's one of the challenges on figuring out where the consumers are in, in any kind of way, like in the B2B or the B2C, it doesn't matter. I think that we don't really know what consumers are doing right now and where things are going. Mm. Um, there's a lot of challenges also with supply chain and inflation in which the consumer power and, I mean, again, B2B or B2C is being reduced and people are, they're kind of waiting to make purchases a lot. So things that were clear for us in the beginning of the year are not so clear. Um, that is to me fascinating. And it goes back to data, right? That's a conversation that I've always had with you. Um, but the part of, I am seeing certain data, but I still don't know what that will mean. So having prescriptive decisions is very difficult at this point. It's kind of like a wait and see situation. Yeah. And it affects budgets as well, because when you don't see where the consumer is going, then the budgets get reduced or you have to kind of be more wary of spending money in general. Yep. Well, I've seen, though, for <clears throat> for trade shows and conferences, uh, a lot of them now are online and virtual. And I just signed up for one yesterday and I'm a little bit leery because when I sit there and want to watch the conference and I kind of say, well, you know, I got all these emails I got to do. Yes. And so you're kind of listening, but then you're not. And if they're not a good speaker, then, you know, you totally tune it out. And so um, 
you know, I, I think it'd be great to get back to the in-person conferences, but um, I don't know, are you seeing that there's still a lot of reticence to go back? I, it, it, it flip-flops actually. Um, I see certain people like we live in Georgia, right? And Georgia is, I feel a little bit of a outlier on how everything is going on with the pandemic because um, we try to get back to normal earlier than you would have uh, seen, for example, in, in, in cities like New York or Chicago or Philadelphia. So it, to me, it's really difficult to gauge that because I live in a different environment. But I have seen that at least in our industry, we're going back to trade shows in person. So it actually started earlier during the year where multiple events that used to be, um, they went fully digital are going back to in-person. So things like Neocon, which is happening in June is actually going to be fully in-person. There's gonna be virtual elements to it. So a lot of the, the, the talks and the um, panels are gonna be online as well, but most of the people are going back and apparently um, everybody's really excited about it. So you you see that combination of people that are still worried about it, but most of the people that I've talked to are really excited about being in person again. And they're all um, really excited about going and traveling and everything. I actually started traveling last, last week and it was to me, I hadn't traveled for a long time and it was a little bit unnerving, but everybody's going back to normal um, slowly, but I, I, it was really interesting. The airport was like super full and it was before spring break. So it was full of families mm -hmm. traveling. So it was, to me, it was a little bit unnerving, but it was like, people are really going back, trying to go back to normal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do my first business trip uh, this coming weekend, there you go. Sunday night and then uh, gone for two days. So, uh, and that's been since, you know, for two years. And yeah. as a matter of fact, in uh, March 6th, right in 2020, was our last business trip. And I think one of the guys that works for me got COVID on the flight coming back because he was sick for about uh, almost two weeks. And uh, yeah. he ended up, and at the time there were no tests or nothing. So, you know, you don't know whether he had it or not. Yeah, we, we suspect the same thing with my husband. The last trip that he took was to a trade show mm. and he got back and he got really, really sick and then he made everybody else sick. And we suspect that he got COVID and that was in the beginning. It was in March, 2020 as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really uh, just amazing. Uh, it's hard to believe that was two years ago. Oh, just, and it's just now coming out of, uh, just coming out of it, man, oh man. Um, so anyway, uh, so tell me about, what do you see? You've been in uh, on the consumer side of marketing, B2C and B2B. So what are kind of the differences that you see now, uh, or if any, because uh, between B2C marketing and B2B marketing? I think it has to do with the complexity. Um, so, and, and it depends on the product, right? So my, my experience with B2C was mostly with products that didn't require, I mean, they required a lot of research online because it was mobile phones or consumer electronics. Um, but the decision was made by one person, basically. So you had a centralized point of contact that you would have to um, organize all your communications around versus B2C. B2B usually has, you have one person that makes the decision, but that's not really true because you have usually several people that influence or are related to, to that purchase um, decision. So it's either you're going... 
uh, towards one person that is in this case, for example, in flooring, the, the person that's specific, uh, making the specifications, specking the product, which is the architect or designer, but then the decision doesn't necessarily fall on him. It falls on three or, or four other people like the, which are related to the, to their own clients. So it is more the complexity and the different um, touch points that you have based on the different types of personas and influencers. I think it's just, that's the main difference basically. And probably in certain consumer products, you have more that complexity, like thinking about in construction materials. Like I, I used to um, be the brand manager of a hard surfaces product and that required a lot more touch points and it was more b2b2c in which you would have to deal with also the installer or the the hardscape architect and then back to the consumer but it was still a lot less complex than what you'd see in in b2b so b2b you have a lot more really touch points and um and it's longer lead time. So some of the deals that would happen, they can happen for more than two years, like you from the first touch point until you have that conversion or that sale. So that's the other part that I, I see that is really, really important and different. Yeah, and I think, uh, I think uh, because of the lead time, because of the multiple decision makers and because of typically the limited budgets, uh, B2B marketing is much more challenging than consumer marketing. Um, you know, you might be able to get a lot more detailed and really defining, you know, who your target consumer is and be able to then really find the right media for that, you know, that, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, that male age 25 to 35 and living in Atlanta, Georgia or whatever, but uh, B2B because of the lead times, it's, uh, I think it's just a, you know, it's a much more challenging uh, marketing environment. Correct. And, and if you think about attribution, and it is very difficult to determine when your campaigns have a really clear return over investment, uh, just because like in, in our case, it's very difficult to determine if the person that we first touched on, for, for example, social media or the website ended up being a, um, a project that they purchased, uh, just because of the, uh, the amount of touch points and the handoff into sales and all that, those pieces that you start getting kind of, you start losing that, that, that information within that, that journey. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, to your point about attribution, um, but even on the consumer side, people make, or marketers make mistakes. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got last touch attribution versus a, a, a more kind of a, a modeled approach. And I've been surprised at how, how many mistakes uh, the attributionists, I'll call them, uh, make in, in trying to de determine what the actual marketing uh, ROI is. And we just did a project with a, in a furniture industry and we've been, I was shocked to see that what they thought was the most uh, productive media channel was actually the worst one to be investing oh, cool. in. And, you know, and, and it, it's just, uh, it's just amazing. And so, and that, that I think is also one of the challenges as well for B2B is you don't have the tools or you don't have the money to be able to invest in all the tools like you might do on, a, on the consumer side. Yeah, well, and the investment in media, right? <laughs> um, comparing, like going back from 
again, the, the comparison that we used to look at how much money competitors would spend in media, for example, in the, in the consumer electronics side and the amount that is spent in media is insane. Like, um, and this is again, 15 years ago, how much Apple was spending and we would compare it against what we were spending. And it was like, oh yeah, no, you can't even try to, to mimic what they're doing because it's insane the amount of, of, of money. So yeah, in B2B, you have to be a little bit smarter on what you do and things that have, um, you have to be also using that combination of um, you're increasing your awareness and you're also in increasing your um, standing in the industry because you have to become an expert. In B2B, you have to be seen as an expert, otherwise it doesn't work. Mm. Uh, um, or at least in, in the industries that I've been in. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and that relates a lot more into content marketing, which could be uh, important in, in the B2C environment, but not as much as it is in the B2B. So one of the things that I've seen a lot is that increase of content marketing and making sure that you're creating the content that it matters for your consumers in the right time and the right moment. Um, and that's an, another challenge on itself, uh, but it's yeah. a fun one though. Yeah, you know, although I'm, I, I think there's no question that content marketing today is critical, but, uh, you know, there's now so many people putting out content, content. You know, how do you actually find what you're looking for, and uh, know that, you know, you've got uh, the right thing, because there's just so much stuff out there. Yes, and I, and I agree. So I think research helps a lot, and having a really a close ear to your your consumer, right? So we have conversations with our, not only our field, like sales, uh, which always are very connected to their customers, but also directly to the customers. And we also talk about um, this items with trade media. So we reach out to the media who are always a little bit ahead of really the, the manufacturers um, or the companies on what is, resounding with their audiences. So we go back to them and ask them what is going on? What is What are people interested in? And that's how we do it, at least on our side. And I think that's, that's the main thing. It's like doing a lot of research helps mm -hmm. to make sure that whatever you're creating is, it's interesting for your consumer versus just putting out something because you, know, you need to put out content. Yeah, that's that is definitely true, and uh, really makes a difference in uh, in what's really valuable to that decision of uh, how that consumer, you know, whether it's a business or a consumer consumer, is going to make that purchase decision or not. Um, let me just shift a little bit. What about uh, uh, people? You know, you hear about you know the uh, the challenges of hiring folks and getting them uh, when you need them and being able to grow your team or whatever. What kind of challenges have you had to uh, fulfill uh, fulfill your team or fulfill the teams in general in marketing? A lot, actually. Um, <laughs> you're hitting you're hitting one of my my main issues this year. Actually, we we um, my team increased um, um, a lot. No, well, yeah, a lot, fifty percent. So when I started trying to find people to fill those positions, it's, it's been a challenge. I mean, I've had an open position since December last year and I just seem, I, I can't find the right person. And I'm, I'm very picky on what I want for that position. 
So that's affecting part of it. But I also know um, our culture and what I need that person to do. So if I can't find that right person, I'm not going to hire somebody just because I can't find exactly what I what I want. And I I'm flexible <laughs> um, because we need to be flexible at this point. And the market is super hot, especially in at least in, in around Atlanta is is insane how how many people are hiring and they're hiring on better benefits and and a lot more money. And that makes complete sense. And I think that's great. I think that's part of it, though. Um, I think that because of how the market is going and all the the priority shift, because in the in the end, what I, what we saw in the pandemic is there was a priority shift, um, and people are leaving the companies that are not aligning with their vision or what they want from work. Um, that's what we keep seeing. It's like all the people that have been leaving my companies because they're going for more money and fully remote, right? Um, which is great. I think that's great because it's shifting back into the priorities of that work, work-life balance and having more flexibility. And I think that was a shift that was needed. And the other part is the salaries. I think that this actually pushed on making sure that people are remunerated as much as they deserve, uh, which is something that we haven't seen in forever. Like I've never in my career have never seen this shift of people are getting more money, um, better situation, better benefits and, and better flexibility, um, which is, I think it's great. It's also very difficult because I can't find the right people <laughs> because <laughs> everybody else is getting a lot of overs out there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's, uh, I think that's definitely, a, you know, a challenge. And it's also a challenge for, for keeping people, because then you've got to raise everybody to kind of get to the same level, so that, you know, you've got this demand, this enormous demand for a limited pool of, of, of employees. And, uh, you know, and you've got to keep your, your current employees, and then you got to, you know, make sure that you can find the right ones. Um, have you, uh, have you tried, uh, like, being a little bit more flexible on the job description, so potentially taking one or two positions and reshuffling things so that you could maybe narrow the focus to make it easier to hire the, per the persons you're looking for? Yes, and I actually, when I worked on the job descriptions for the new positions, I shifted a lot of the responsibilities, and it, it's really interesting for me because um, that's why I think I'm having issues with finding the right person because I need somebody that is very flexible on, yes, your role is this, but we are a really small team. Like in the end, um, my company works kind of like a startup um, and we're a really slim, slim, lean and agile team. So you kind of have to shift caps all the time. And I think that that happens with most of the companies. I don't think that I've ever been in a company that you have a role and you only do what is in your job description. Um, so I need somebody that can actually jump and do other things just because our responsibilities are constantly growing and shifting. And it's, it's a very um, fluid um, situation all the time. So like, I still do a lot of things that I go like, oh, okay, well, I'm back to, you know, being the community manager for all the social media channels. And I kind of don't want to do that anymore, but I'm still doing it because um, that's, that's what it is. Everything is fluid and everything moves. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, 
one of the things too that I think is an interesting challenge. So we were talking with another friend of ours, and uh, he's the CMO of a trucking company, mm-hmm. and they want to hire, uh, and I don't remember the exact numbers, two thousand drivers. And if your growth plan is and revenue plan is contingent upon hiring, you know, two thousand drivers, so you got to get from whatever you have today to another two thousand, which is a big number, and uh, then. What's kind of interesting is the marketing to hire those 2,000 employees is more important than the art marketing to drive demand. Correct. And so almost in your case as well, the marketing needed to hire the right kind of employees to be able to you know, offer the right product to the consumer, the employee, to uh, market to them to make sure that you have the right benefits, the right flexibility, the right pay and everything else. Uh, is almost more important than the actual marketing to create demand. And, uh, you know, and we used to say, um, uh, you know, like if you were going to market to, uh, you know, to create demand, that when you put some analytics behind it, the analytics is always a better investment than the, uh, than the demand creation. Well, now um, uh, it's almost like that has to even take that, a backseat to being able to hire the right employees so that you can finally create the marketing so that you can actually measure and analyze the marketing to see if it's working. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and I do, it's really funny because once we started planning for 2022, um, a lot of the things that we discussed was like, can we get it done with the resources that we have? I meaning the resources, meaning the people. Um, and there's a lot of things that I always push back on. No, we can't get that done because I don't, I don't have the people to get it. Done. let's be let's be completely realistic and let's be better to deliver great things but in the time and with the resources that you have then promise that you will deliver deliver poorly uh, and get everybody burnt out in the process which we don't want yeah yeah well you know and the problem too is uh you know the shareholders who in the end we all report to you know, they really don't care. Yep. <laughs> you know, they really just say, listen, you got a profit goal, you got a sales goal. If you guys want to keep working there, you know, at the sea level anyway, then, you know, get, get it done, get her done, you know? And, and um, uh, now I will admit, uh, you know, when I was talking about analytics and employee marketing, and then of course, demand generation, uh, I wonder too, if there's a price component to that. So if you don't have uh, the supply chain, and in this case, you don't have maybe the employees to do it exactly right. I'm wondering if there's a way to kind of restructure what you are able to do, but do it at a higher price because then you can, like you said, do it at, do the marketing, but also then the product at a much higher quality and then demand a higher price for that. Well, and, and, and I think that's happening just by itself. So at least in, the, in, in, my, in our industry, because of the, um, the supply chain and the availability of certain products that we use to manufacture our products, there's, there's been a constant price increase um, without er- even hitting on getting benefits out of it, really. Um, so I think that's happening overall. Um, price is getting increased, not necessarily to to improve situations within the company, but just to kind of survive. Um, at least that's what I've been seeing across the, the board. I, I've seen it a lot in our industry, obviously, but I've seen it along like even food, which, you know, it's it's 
increasing the production and, and everything it's right. you're not you're just it's everything is becoming more expensive and how things are right now who knows what's going to happen in the next six months right everything is kind yeah. of like up in the yeah. air yeah well especially with energy but where i was going though on the pricing is because i agree with you you know if you don't have the the raw materials or you don't have the energy or they've gotten more expensive then certainly you do have to charge more or try to charge more yeah. and uh, but if you're limited in other ways uh then you know limited supply can usually translate into higher in some way to higher prices and, pricing uh, yep and so uh so it's not just not having uh the uh, the products um but it's also you know having more expensive raw materials and then can you even go higher than what those are asking for uh because you actually have some limited supply that you can now you know take advantage of yeah well it will depend on the demand also. well yeah 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 but you know what's funny is uh, the economy the, if the economy is so messed up right now you have this enormous demand you know there's people just you know buying and buying and buying which is great i love it uh, but then you have all these, you know, prices going up because the raw materials are going up because the, you know, the the wages are going up and the salaries are going up and it's it's just funny how it how it's all kind of, you know, leading to, to even this high demand but also at, at at higher prices. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. If if salaries go up, then people have more money to to spend, and that's great. Uh, that that's what you want, frankly. Um, yeah, I worry more about the 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 demand kind of slowing down yeah. Um, yeah. with everything being more expensive so it is it is kind of like a a very thin line between um between the prices going up and then affecting demand as yeah. well so i mean and that's that's above my my you know understanding of uh economics because <laughs> i took economics a long time ago um, but I do, I do worry about that. And, and I think that companies are also worried about that. So they're, they're also being very careful with investments and very careful with their budgets. And that, that's kind of like a cycle that, that at least I've started to see. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with you though. Uh, and I don't know what you're right is whether this is temporary right now, and then there's going to be a cliff that we all fall off of, and then demand goes away because the prices are just too high. Uh, yeah, very, very worried about that. And I've, uh, I think you're not the only one that's worried about that. Uh, no, let me I... change uh, topics, though, on you. Um, so one of the things that that is also a, a huge trend in marketing is everything is moving digital. Um, and yet that also leaves some opportunity on the on the uh, on the traditional media, the offline yes. media. And certainly when you're in a, a B2B environment where you have sales, salespeople are offline they're not you know they're not digital salespeople, although at least not yet <laughs> we don't have robots to take uh take that over but uh you know so you have then you know a strong offline component and yet then the value that the digital marketing can offer just seems to continue to grow and continue to be, be more valuable where do you see that balance uh shifting here over time see that's a that's a that's an interesting question it's a difficult question for me to respond because i do think again i am i'm 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 a really passionate person for digital, and that's basically my core. But I do see that um, with the pandemic, it was very difficult because everything went completely digital. So uh, all the the offline components that we usually see with salespeople um, kind of shifted completely, and it was very challenging 
for for a lot of people. We had tools in place. We we use a sales enablement tool called Shopa that we used a lot with the salespeople, and that helped because you could they could create presentations that are very customized for them and send them over, and then have calls to present them, and then follow up with some kind of offline treat. So I've discussed this one with you, but there was um, there was one of our sales reps that did. Um, uh, sent ba a Valentine's Day palette that he, they sent through Showpad and then they followed up with, with some chocolates that were inspired in that palette. And I see that a lot in that combination that it doesn't matter that everybody's still home uh, working remotely, they still can have those kind of offline touch points that help with building the relationships or making the, the customers more interested. The other part was um, samples. We are a very heavily um, tactile industry. Um, so one of the, the great examples that I've seen on that balance between offline and online is um, this uh, company called uh, Material Bank. And it's a, it's a website that what they do is that they ship samples overnight. And it's not only samples, flooring samples, it is samples for all of the types of uh, building materials that you would spec within a project. Um, and by centralizing that in, in one place and making it overnight and, and adding some personal touches because every time that you get your box, it, it has like um, other giveaways and, and cute things that you would want to um, include to enhance this experience. It's been very successful because again, it combines that digital experience in which you don't have to wait or, or reach out to your sales rep, you just go online, you order the samples that you want and you get them immediately the next day, which is super important for people, especially in an industry as tactile as this is. So I do see that that combination of experiences in which you have a digital component that then goes into offline to make the, the experience better and to also respond to the needs of, of the, the customers. In the end, you know that architects and designers will need to touch and see the, the physical example of it. Um, another example that I see that it's, it's great is one of our, um, we launched this um, personalization and, and visualization tool called Personal Studio, which what it does is that you take on all of our products, uh, carpet products that are running line and you can go in and recolor them. You can see them in, in photorealistic environments, so room scenes. You can download those, you can order printed samples and you can also order the, the physical sample right there from there. And why I think it's really interesting that again, it combines that online experience with the offline but it makes uh, personalization in an industry that is very difficult to think about personalization, very easy and, and really easy to access, really. Um, so that, that is a really cool example of things that I'm seeing that are kind of meshing those, those limits. Um, with Personal Studio, we also created a Personal Studio Hub, which is basically a physical place where you can go and you'll do the personalization quickly in, in a computer and then they print out your sample right there, which I think is really, really cool um, because you don't have to wait or anything. You just get it from there. 
And um, again, it's that meshing and that balance between the offline experience going into, I mean, the online, well, offline, going online, going offline in this case. Um, I think that there is a lot of opportunities there for an industry that is very tactile, right? Um, in, in which you're showing things, um, visualizing things, and then you get something back that you can then touch. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about uh, way back when, when I was an engineer, uh, you know, and I had to order samples of whatever it was. And, and you know, and I maybe you'd get them in a week, maybe you'd get them mm -hmm. in two weeks. And, um, and now, uh, as a consumer, when I go on Amazon, if, the, if I can't get it tomorrow, then I go, oh, man, I'm doing, you know, I, so it's that my whole mindset is that I should be able to get this stuff tomorrow. Immediately, yep. And that's the Amazon effect. That's what yeah, people call yeah. the Amazon effect. Yep. And it because we're all consumers, it doesn't matter that you're B2B, the expectations are those. So exactly. we, we as a company need to kind of respond to that as well. Well, and now, of course, Amazon and Walmart are trying to do same day. <laughs> so get ready. <laughs> well, that's that's why I think the personal studio hub is so cool, because if you live in Chicago, you can just go there and you can get it the same day, which yeah. is really, really cool. And it's unheard of. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Well, you know, in my book, too, uh, which <laughs> as an aside is almost ready to come out very, very close. But, uh, you know, when you now the way books are uh, even physical books, so a paperback and a hardback book, I can order it today. And Amazon or Ingram will print it today and then have it delivered tomorrow. It's Prince just on the, month. Yep. the whole the whole publishing industry is has been turned up on its uh, up on its head. Yep. Now you, yep. print, you know, a thousand, three thousand, twenty thousand, however many, uh, you know, for books in my in you know in the business side of things. And uh, nowadays they don't print any. That you just upload your file and they'll print on demand with a color copy, which on the uh, with a color copy even on the inside as well as uh, as the cover and uh, that's just uh, it's just uh, incredible how 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 well that's now done well and if you think about the i still love um, the part of 3d printing because i feel like that is also going to revolutionize all of the supply chains for things when i was in in the agriculture equipment company, um, we were looking at 3D printing for, for um, accessories and things that had to do with repairs and things like that, when, especially with that industry, time is really important, because if you're not out in the field doing things, you're losing money, basically. So having on 3D printing and on-demand printing for pieces and stuff like that would make complete sense. Um, so I think that that's the other, that's the other element that I, I find fascinating about 3d printing and printing on demand. Yeah, absolutely. So that'll be the next uh, challenge for you, you know, cause one of the things that I've seen is uh, if you go into the UPS store, they have 3d printers printing. there. Yep. And I asked the, uh, the people, you know, that the, the people behind the counter and I said, anybody using that? And they go, no, not really. And yet that is available. So you could almost do like what you're talking about. And I don't know how easy that would be, but uh, for certain industries, maybe where you just send a, a file to the 3D printer and, hey, have you, you know, go pick that up. It'll be there this afternoon. Yep. So, uh, so maybe you could actually get same day delivery on that. Stuff. Exactly. Same day printing and delivery. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, I've taken uh, a lot of your time and I really appreciate it. Is there one thing that uh, you think is going to be the super duper aha moment for 2022 or 2023 in marketing? God, I don't know. I keep, um, I think you touched on the metaverse and I think that we're, we need to keep an eye on, on the metaverse. In general, on digital, I also think that what's going to change a lot of how we do, especially advertising, will be the cookie yeah. situation in which cookies are disappearing and how we're going to deal with that. Um, I, I am keeping a really close eye on that. And I am also keeping an, an eye on social media because social media is shifting a lot. Um, what we see, what we saw in 2022 is that video is more important um, with, you know, with TikTok and, and Reels. And Facebook has seen a massive slowdown as well. Um, but I still am looking forward to seeing what, what else comes out. There's also, um, you know, sound only social media with Clubhouse, which I still don't think that has exploded as it ought to. Um, so there's a lot of elements in social media that I'm keeping my eye on uh, just because it's it's very different. And then there is the, the whole blockchain and an NFT story that we didn't even touch. And yeah. that's another thing yeah. that I'm keeping an eye, especially yeah. to see what companies are doing with it. And not necessarily because I've seen a lot of the um, entertainment industry companies going into it. Like for example, the Atlanta Hawks had several NFTs released and, and things like that, which makes complete sense because their hmm. product is very different. But what happens with companies that their product is physical and completely specific to, to certain industries that really NFTs don't make sense, but they might make sense. So that's another one that I'm looking forward to, to seeing what happens and how it gets released into other industries that are not really entertainment or content. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, yeah, I think, I think you're right. We didn't even talk about, and I hate to say it, I'm not an expert or- Oh no, me neither. I just keep my uh, eye on those things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But uh, you know, it, it's uh, it, it's just funny how how things are changing. And I, I just wrote a, a post this morning. You mentioned podcasts, and this is going to be a podcast. And yeah. the, the podcasts are actually exploding, and yet it's people are not in the car as much anymore. Yeah. And so then the use of audio is been significantly reduced, and so uh, you know, if you're home, I don't know about you, but I can't listen to a podcast and try and get work done. It's it. It's just too distracting. I, you can either it do is. one or you can do the other. Yeah, and, and I, I, I find that fascinating because I've, um, I, I come from Mexico and most of my friends were into podcasts, like producing podcasts 15 years ago. So mm -hmm. I actually am on podcasts that are 15 years old uh, <laughs> because that's what my friends used to do. So I was in multiple podcasts. And it's really fascinating to me that out like the last five years, just podcasts have exploded. And to me, it's it's very fascinating because I've been expecting this to happen for the last fifteen years, and I'm really look I'm I'm really excited that it is happening because I think that podcasts are great, mm. um, just a great um, media opportunity. Not only not only as thought leadership, but also they're very entertaining. So we're actually going back to the the radio, the days of the radio shows where it was all 
um, theater, basically. I mean, most of the podcasts that I listen are like history or business or etc. And um, they're all telling you a story, which is great. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's what, uh, you know, makes them valuable. So uh, I and I think you're right. I think right now is kind of the time for podcasts. And I, I think year over the next couple of years, it's definitely going to be uh, you know, be the one of the new mediums that that we'll all have to try and figure out. So yeah, and I'm glad that you're doing it. Yeah, I, <laughs> I listen to your podcast. So oh, great. I, I'm always learning new things with podcasts, and I listen to yours. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. So, uh, and with that, though, let me uh, uh, let's uh, uh, break right here, and, and maybe we'll do another one. We'll continue on the next one, which will be NFTs and blockchain and. <laughs> how we can figure that out but uh thank you so much it's really been a pre uh really been awesome and definitely appreciate your time otherwise uh please stay tuned for other videos in this series of the backstory on marketing please visit marketingmachine.prorelevant.com getting started to download the first chapter of my book and other valuable excerpts and don't forget to sign up for more episodes and uh in this podcast series and if you can of course rate this podcast with five stars. Christina, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Guy.